The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and we are at the last Wednesday of March. It's been quite a month. It's been my birthday month. It's been a long month. Jess set up a lot of magical days for me. Yeah. Along with all my friends. I didn't realize I had so many friends. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We've done the month of March, so every day it's been a different friend or family member, and today Chrissy made us lunch afterward, our podcast producer, so we're super excited about that. But it's been a long month in general. I feel like I should lay down some ground rules for March 2023, like a year in advance. Anyway. Yeah, I'm not big on even one birthday, let alone 30, <laughs> yeah, Outside 31. of the birthday, it's been a big month. Okay, we're going to talk today about finding the balance. Um, Scott and I were trying to come up with a topic. Our lives have been super busy. We're going away this weekend with a bunch of dogs, and um, we didn't know what we would want to talk about. And Scott was talking about, you know, finding balance and different behaviors and in your dog's behavior and everything else. So we're going to do that. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. <coughs> All right. My tip is flower essences. So I really like Green Hope Farm. Um, they're out of a city in New Hampshire. I should know all my things. They're out of Meriden, New Hampshire, maybe. Um, so it's Green hopeessences.com if you're looking on their site. But flower essences are a great thing that you can give to your animals. And actually, you can take them yourself. I take them while Gigi was getting really bad this month. I literally was like dumping half of a bottle into a thing of water and just chugging it. They do make the water taste a little bit different. But what it's supposed to do is support you in ways or support your animal in ways that they may be lacking. So they have a whole bunch of different stuff. They have a really open site. But like you can get ones like abandonment and abuse. Um, digestive woes, healthy coat, that would probably be more for your dog than you, but maybe if you have hair issues, neediness, all this kind of stuff, caretaker I always get. So anyway, uh, if you're struggling at all, or if you find your animal struggling, a very benign way to look into that is by dropping a little flower essences into the water that either you drink or your animal drinks, and whatever you don't need, you just simply pee out. So Green Hope Farm flower essences. Yeah, I don't know if there's enough uh, essences around for my neediness. Oh my God. Because I'm, I'm full time. <laughs> oh my God, I know. <laughs> I'm going to start dosing them. All right. So finding the balance. So what were you thinking of when you came up with this topic? Because I liked it and we ran with it. So where was your well, head at? With what it? made me think of balance was uh, one of the last clients I saw has a dog that has a lot of anxiety, very clingy to her, uh, and it's undermining her uh, obedience. I mean, the dog just doesn't work for her because of this relationship issue that she has. When I take the leash away from and get that dog eight to 10 feet away from her physically, the dog's head changes completely. The dog can work, sit, heal, do everything. But as soon as it gets near her, then it jumps on her and it does all this stuff. And I said, um, you really should start to incorporate a little more crate time and start um, creating some separation, you know, controlled separation for periods, you know, during the day. And she seemed almost offended, really. I mean, she never crates the dog. And she said, I didn't get this dog to have this dog in a, in a crate, you know, all day. And, and I've heard that before from people, you know, and uh, I understand that I think that this dog serves a huge purpose for this woman and gives her comfort and, and emotional support to a certain extent. But I've heard it from other clients where they have a new puppy. The puppy will be just yeah. nine weeks old 
and it's peeing on the floor and it's raising hell. And I tell him, you need more crate time. You got to put the puppy in a crate. And I had a guy tell me, I didn't get a puppy to put it in a little box and keep it in a box. And my feeling is, I'm not saying to get a dog and keep it in a cage all its life. That's not the point at all. It's just like when you have a child, if you want to take a shower and the kid is at that crawling stage, you got to have a playpen. You need to manage a certain way. And also, by using a crate, as the first example here, when you don't need it, when you do want to use the crate for practical purposes, the dog's comfortable going in the crate. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's not the dog is all traumatized from going in a crate. So a lot of times, the humans are way more traumatized about crating a dog than the dog is itself. And so when I talk about balance, I was trying to explain to this woman that it's not, she's painting a very black and white picture. And it's not black and white. You know, there's all kinds of shades of gray in here. And we're talking about just putting the dog in a crate for an hour. Not the dog living in a crate. I mean, we're out for 15 hours. We're typically awake for 15 hours a day. When I tell people, when people say, how much crate time should I give my dog during the day? I tell them six hours and they get really taken aback. Six hours. But I'm thinking an hour here, a couple hours midday. If you're awake with this dog for 15 hours, it's not that much time, you know? Yeah, and we're going to give you guys um, a bunch of concrete examples today having to do with crates and not. And really, this is just kind of about, you know, people kind of say like, well, how much freedom is too much freedom? And I really would just want to kind of urge you to think of like, well, how is your dog behaving? Like, are you having behavioral issues? Are you having fallout here? Is daycare calling saying that things are escalating? Is your dog lunging at other dogs in the street? Like, is there a lot of stuff going that's kind of unstable in your house because of your dog? Is your dog eating a lot of stuff, destroying a lot of things? Look at your dog's behavior. And if your dog's behavior is pretty good, that's fine. But even things like following you from room to room may not be super safe and stable for your dog. So we're going to give you guys some different things to think about. So one of them, of course, is crate time versus free time. And we talk about this all the time. Jimmy normally sleeps in our bed. It was just Sink's birthday this week. She turned 11. Happy birthday, Miss Bug. She slept in bed with us on Monday. They both would all the time, but we only have a queen-size bed right now, and we can't have too much crazy. So anyway, Jimmy sleeps in bed with us, I'd say, what, five nights a week? Uh, at the most. At the most. Oh, I was going to say at the least. <laughs> okay, whatever. So Jimmy's in bed. We will intentionally crate him. Like, make sure that he's good in a crate. If he's going to be whining throughout the night in a crate, he would get a lot more crate time. So we talk about the crate example quite frequently. And free time versus crate time is a great thing to think about. If you're going to be boarding your dog and your dog's not used to a crate, reintroduce the crate, crate him an hour a day for their own heads, whatever else. What other things were you thinking of? So now I would move on to, let's say you never use a crate. Your dog has no problems being out of a crate. It's an adult dog. It doesn't have potty training issues. It doesn't, it's not destructive. Another way that you may consider creating a little more balance in your relationship with your dog is uh, time on the furniture versus time on the floor. So if your dog's always on the bed with you, and then when you sit to watch TV, it's up on the couch, it's in your lap, constantly up with you, that's not a very good balance. It's too much of this dog up on your level with you everywhere you want to go. And again, I'm talking about for the dog's mental health. Yeah. It's better for that dog to know that they can't jump on the couch whenever they want to. And at the practical side of it is if you have some company over, and they might may not be real excited about having a dog in their lap, but they're at your house, they sit down on the couch, and this dog is right up on their lap and licking their face and... That's okay for you, but it's not okay for them. So if you want to be 
a nice host, you may tell your dog, you know, not have your dog get up there. Yeah. And creating boundaries anyway, right? We both had separate lists because we were brainstorming separately. But I said, like, no dogs in the kitchen sometimes. If you're cooking and your dog's, like, always under your feet and wanting stuff, I'm, I'm all about that. Like, oh, here's a carrot. Let's do that. Sometimes you don't want that, right? Maybe you're cooking with multiple people. Maybe there's a lot of stuff out. Maybe that you're using, you know, a lower table than normal. Make a boundary where the dog stays out of the kitchen. Ideally, you don't need to put a gate up, but if you need to put up a physical boundary, put up a physical boundary. Is your dog trying to get over that? Is your dog scratching at that? Is your dog crying behind that? You will get a lot of feedback from that situation. And in that same vein, can you keep your dog off the couch? Like, can you honestly watch a show for an hour and tell your dog, no, go lay down, do your own thing? Or are they keep, you know, protesting? They they sit there staring at you, whining. Or or nudging you or something else. melting your heart. Can you create a boundary for a piece of furniture or a room in your home or something that you normally don't create the boundary, but just because you want to, can you, can you have a pop-up boundary that works? Yeah. And dogs really thrive with some structure and knowing that you're in charge. I, yes. I thoroughly believe that. I don't care who Just you like are, kids. what kind of if dog kids you have. If feel like no one is in charge, they're like, ah, nobody's at the helm. Dogs are the same way. They need to feel like someone is in control. They do not want to be in the driver's seat. And keep in mind that the dogs that I see, the people that call me, they have issues. Nobody calls me for dog training that's happy with their dog's behavior 24-7. There's no need to call us. And even if you are happy with your dog's behavior, these are just different ways to stimulate things, change things up, right? Like those neural pathways, if it's always just the same routine, switching things up is good from a multitude of perspectives. All right, what else do you have on your list? Uh, the one, one other thing I wrote down was um, that you really should find an overnight kennel for your dog and kennel your dog before you need it, or even, I mean, I know a lot of people that never, ever, haven't been on a vacation in years because they don't have a place to put their dog, so they don't go anywhere. Or if they can bring their dog, it's a situation where they bring their dog. Yeah, they just vacation when they can't. So, especially with a dog under a year old, I mean, I think that's the best time. I learned that with my first dog, that um, it's like sending a kid to summer camp, if you have a young kid, that they don't want to go to summer camp. They're crying. They don't want to leave their mom and dad. They're all stressed out. But after they're there for a day and meet the new friends, it's friggin' great. Then they want to go back the following summer. At least that was my experience. I was very lucky to have a relative that had a summer camp in Pennsylvania, and my parents were quick to ship me off to like, you're going for a month to summer <laughs> Scott, camp. Scott liked to go. I'm like, camp. all right, great. And I had a blast. I went back the next year. But the thing is, if the kids or dogs... Um, get used to that experience and realize, okay, I'm back home now and everything is fine. Then when you really want to go somewhere, you may have to fly to a wedding or do, you know, or go on a vacation. You have a place where you can send your dog that you're comfortable with. Your dog is familiar with them. So they're not going to have a nervous breakdown. You're not going to have the kennel calling you say, saying that your dog hasn't eaten in seven days and yeah. we're very concerned about your dog. And it just makes them more adaptable overall. So like Scott's saying, even if you don't have a vacation plan, we did that with Verify when we went to the wedding last year. She wasn't ours, but we were raising her within the first year of her life. Go sleep somewhere else that we trust for two or three nights. It's a good experience. It's a good experience for the dog to grow and mature and everything else. And adaptability is important in this world, in this day and age. One so thing I was... Go ahead. What? No, I was going to say, you're making a more well-rounded, more confident dog yeah. by doing these things. And the, alternate, the alternative is that you're creating a more emotionally crippled dog that's yeah. more needy and more uh, fearful of any new thing. Yeah. And it's good for you too. Like just rip the bandage off, do an overnight, see how it goes for both of you. One thing I was thinking is if you have a routine for your dog when it goes outside, 
I don't know if a lot of our listeners do. I'm hoping more do than don't, but some sort of routine where the dog waits or the dog sits or something else. Catch yourself with how fluid you are, right? So like if you touch the door, the dog sits, you open, you just release the dog, maybe take a breath, maybe count to five, switch up when you're releasing the dog and see, is my reliability still there? Make sure the dog is not just anticipating a pattern that you have just fallen into subconsciously without even knowing. Consciously change up your door behavior. If you have rules there, consciously do something different and see if all the behaviors still stick. Sure. Yeah, I was thinking, do you want me to just go to the next one here? Yeah, sure. So I was thinking about balance when I made this list. And um, one of the things I put was always giving your dog a lot of treats and human food all the time to the point where the dog will not eat anything except a special meal or something that's human grade. Uh, and then versus the opposite of that is get, just giving your dog a low-grade kibble. That's no all they get yeah. is just the cheapest you know kibble you can buy, and that's what they live on. So finding a balance there. We, we give our dogs a human-grade um, diet, uh, but I also give them a piece, you know, a crust of my pizza. I give my dogs, you know, human treats all the time. And it's not like they wouldn't the eat time. kibble if we offered them yeah, kibble and it, as a they'll snack. They'll eat whatever we yeah. put down for them. Their, their head is just, when I'm offered food, I eat. It's yeah. very, very few things that one or two of our dogs won't eat. I mean, I think Sarge wouldn't eat raw fish or something. Yeah. You know, there's certain things... And that's, that's, that's different. If you have a dog that eats anything except you put this one thing in front and they say, listen, I'd rather starve than eat that crap. <laughs> Quite often we would think maybe there's something wrong with the food. Yeah. I had a dog that would eat, eat anything and just got this uh, tripe one time. Yeah. It stunk. I mean, he didn't eat tripe, it. We're like, tripe, stinks, the whole thing out. <laughs> tripe stinks anyway. But this stuff was like really nasty. Yeah. And my dog looked at it and was like, nope, I'm not eating that. <laughs> so we didn't and he'd eat it to anybody. That dog would eat a skunk on the side of the road. He wasn't going to eat this stuff. But so, that's good feedback too. And Scott's yeah. right. Like it don't just fall into a certain pattern. And as we always say, like don't just pepper food if the dog doesn't like what you're giving it from a dog perspective and put a bunch of human food on it just to get it to eat. Let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to give you a lot more examples. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. All right, since we're talking about eating and feeding and all these things, let's talk about feeding with multiple dogs. So I don't know how you guys do it. If you have multiple dogs and they all eat in crates, great. Sometimes um, dogs are going to eat loose together, right? We're totally into that. Sometimes we play that card. We want to make sure everybody has good control and everything else. If you have all your dogs like lined up in a sit, and I don't do this with all of our dogs, but the three border collies I do this with frequently enough. If you have them all, you know, waiting for their food and you always release a certain dog first, switch up who gets released first. Plan for some fallout, right? Like these dogs are smart. They're so used to our patterns. If you're always releasing the oldest dog first and you release the middle dog, the old dog may go for it. The middle dog may not think to go for it. Switch it up. Keep the dogs on their toes. Even if you don't think your dog is a freaking Einstein and you think he's kind of a little bit dull in the head, the more you switch things up, the better it is for the dog. So if you have a routine feeding multiple dogs, switch up what that routine looks like. Yeah, I think that the dumbest dog in the world is smarter than quite a few of their owners. <laughs> I mean, these dogs, <laughs> I, I think they're, they're, like, the they're like geniuses in, in, 
in their, the way they learn and perceive us and our body language, it's, it's incredible, I think. Um, I had here, you want me to go to the next one? Yeah. Okay, here's a, this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Dogs that are brought to, on doggy play dates after they get out of dog daycare, they're constantly, their owners are constantly trying to help them have these dog-dog interactions all the time versus the opposite of that, which is they have no dog interaction at all. So that's an extreme situation, one or the other. So find some balance. I tell people, you know, we have multiple dogs in our house. Our dogs, when they go out to potty, they're out there with other dogs every day. And they hang out with each other. And we have a dog household. But we do not introduce them, as a general rule, to dogs outside of our pack. We don't want to have a problem where one of our dogs might get attacked. We also have dogs that are a little dominant. I don't want them to bully, an, bully yeah. another dog. And also, uh, I tell people, you know, that's the downside. The plus side for the dog, which is a downside for me, is that they find great joy in every dog they see, and they want to run on the beach and chase other dogs and not listen to me. So when I take my dog to the beach, and it's the same with Jess's dogs, we will always see other dogs on the beach. Our dogs have really no interest yeah. in running to see these dogs. They could care less. They want to be with us. They're playing with each other. So it's much easier for us to maintain control without having to be hard on our dogs to get them to come back. And what I mean is having to use an e-collar and just force them to come back to us. We don't need to do that because they want to be with us. Yeah. You know? There's so- less value there. And you know, with that said, I mean, if your dog's hanging out with other dogs, like, especially in maybe a daycare setting, your dog may be, like, the most, like, um, sweet dog ever, you know, just no reactivity, anything else. If there's a territorial dog at daycare, all of a sudden your dog could, like, start to have territorial aggression. Like, be conscious that they're learning from each other. Scott always says they go to the lowest common denominator. It's true. You're never going to have a puppy that shows up and is like, oh, look, like, he sits to wait for dinner. I'm going to do that, too. They're going to do the assholey behaviors that the older dog does, you know, barking out the window, that kind of stuff. So be conscious of how the other dogs are affecting your dog. And Scott, it could not be more right. Like, yes, it's fun for dogs to have friends, dogs within our pack. We have friends and groups and stuff within our own pack. And they can, you know, socially meet someone and behave and we'll use them a lot with clients. But there's no need for us to be introducing more people or more dogs into our pack. So be careful of how much you're limiting your dog's interactions with other animals. And if you're overdoing it, because... At some point, like, they are domesticated, right? They're, like, living in a house with people. They don't just always have to be in a pack relating to friends and everything else. Yeah, and they they adopt us as part of the pack. Yes. Just like you see, and everybody that has a family knows that the dog and the children are kind of like, they're, it's like having a whole house full of puppies. Yeah. If you have kids that are under eight <laughs> and you have a dog that's, like, under 18 months, yeah. it's like just a free-for-all of yeah, puppies a, running around, a, you know? There's a big pack there. All right, I'm pottying on leash. This is one I like. So a lot of people, you know, less um, the Boston clientele and stuff. A lot of people have apartments and they have to, you know, walk their dogs and everything else. And I get that. But a lot of people have a yard. And it's awesome to have a yard to potty your dog. If your dog doesn't go on a lot of vacations or anything, that's fine. I understand Pottying, even just to get a urine sample for a dog, is important. The dog should be on a leash, right? You're not going to be chasing the dog around the yard to get, like, a urine sample for your vet. So every now and again, either put a leash on your dog and let him potty in the yard or put a leash on your dog and have him potty somewhere else. 
Literally, rest stops when you're traveling. If your dog is not used to going to the bathroom on leash, it is a huge pain in the ass. This is even a, an exercise in how to calm your canine for us because I'm so like adamant about pottying on leash. But it pops up all the time with us. So if your dog is not used to pottying on leash, my first recommendation to you would be do it first thing in the morning when you definitely know the dog is going to potty. And just every now and again, make sure that they can still go on leash. The last thing you want to do is try to have the dog go on leash. They don't. You just let them loose in the yard. But it's a great skill to have, and it's another way to switch things up, get the dogs to be more adaptable, get them to adjust to new environments a little bit more. It's an important one. And I I um, suggest that quite often when people start having potty training problems in the house, where yeah. a lot of people get the bells, the dog rings the bell, and they say, oh, this is great. The dog goes out to go potty. And then they start telling me, the dog rings the bell, goes out there, then it wants to come back in, then it rings the bell again, and then it comes in and pees in the house. So the dog is not, it, when you have a dog that goes out and then comes in the house and pees, you need to start taking the dog out on a leash. You need to see that the dog actually yeah. eliminates and when they're going out. And you're going to make sure out. the dog's staying out. Mm-hmm. And if they're not going, then when you bring them in, it's in nice to use your crate. That's yeah. the whole point. Or you got to keep that leash and keep your dog with you because... The dog is getting into a habit now, especially with inclement weather. And if you're in New England or a, a, a part of the country that's friggin' cold as shit, the dogs don't want to be out there. It's yeah. raining and they're like, screw this. Yeah, the hairless they, they, dogs they come don't right like back in and snow. then they go behind the couch and pee because yeah. it's nice and comfortable, you know? Yeah. And you don't notice it until six or eight pees later when it's now starting to evaporate into the room because of the heat. And you're like, what the hell is going on here? I'm big on the potty on the leash, though. You're less big on that. I make your dog's potty on leash. Scott, if he has control off leash, he doesn't care. But for me, pottying on leash is important. If I'm at a hotel or something else, all the dogs go on leash. One other thing I was thinking is fetch. So how many of you out there just have a routine for fetch? And that's great. I'm so glad that you're getting your dog that exercise and that they're enjoying an activity like that every day. Great for their heart. Great for their head. Great for everything. However... Try to implement rules like during one fetch session or during one repetition of fetch and see what happens. Can your dog stay in a place while you throw the toy out there? Can your dog stay in a sit while you throw the toy out there? Can you just hold a leash and your dog can like just kind of give you a second of not yanking towards the toy and you let them off? Like if you put some rules on to fetch, sometimes your fetch drive goes down quite a bit. This happens frequently with clients that are like, hey, we need the dog to bring it back. The dog loves to run after the ball and run all around the yard. But as soon as their rules involve, they're like, ah, screw it. I don't care about fetch. So evaluate if you can implement rules and then also how that affects your dog. We're doing that a lot right now with our dogs. They're just coming off of winter. It's been snowy and icy in our field and everything else. So rather than just being doing full length field retrieves, We'll throw a ball or whatever we have out there for them to retrieve. We let it land. They're stabilized. And then we release them to go get it. Sometimes it even turns into like a scent work thing because they've lost sight of it. And now they're out there searching for it. So we do this often just for our own headspace. But if you don't have rules to your fetch game, if you implement them, can you still play fetch? And you don't have to do it all the time. But every now and then, if you switch it up, your dog should follow suit. It does require more work on your part. And uh, that's probably the main reason people wouldn't want to do this. But... I had my dogs out yesterday, and um, just like Jess was saying, I had a little place board, and uh, I've stopped letting my I've, – I've, over the years, I've done a lot of just the dog comes back, I whip the ball, no control, they're running out, chasing a, chasing a live ball, and there's a lot more risk of injury with bouncing balls and dogs that are careless about their physical being. And so now that our dogs are getting older, Jimmy's 11 and my Malinois Jimmy are going to be Jimmy is nine. Eight. He's going to be nine? 10 this year. Who's 11? We've got an 11-year-old. Sink. Just turned oh, yeah, 11 on right. Monday. 
But the point is, as they get older, um, I've just started putting them in a down, throwing the ball, getting some eye contact to me, and then releasing them. And the good thing is, like Jess said, they take their eye off the ball where it landed. They run out there. That's where it a whole la- other game. And now it takes them maybe a, you know, maybe a minute to find it. That's requiring a lot more mental energy, too, because now they're searching and they're sniffing for it. So they get more exercise that way, well, a combination of the mental and the physical. Yeah. You know? What else do you have on your list? And, that, and I would say that kind of ties into the exercise versus no exercise, finding a balance between exercising your dog not over-exercising your dog. If you have a lab, if you have a working dog, it's easy to over-exercise the dog because they will chase that ball forever. They will swim until they could have, you know, they come with the dead tail, that swimmer's tail, and and maybe they can get water toxicity. All kinds of crazy stuff can happen, uh, which is not good for them. They can come up lame the next day. They're limping because they ran so much the day before. Now they're they're sore. And that even brings me to the point with people that have a dog that seems to be overly excited, which we would call anxiety, not to trigger anyone, but dogs that seem like they need a constant outlet. If you're constantly giving them an outlet, we've said it time and time again, you're still going to have a crazy dog that just has great endurance now. So be thoughtful of that too. Scott wrote a great blog post, um, I don't know, probably three years ago now, that's called You Can't Outrun Crazy. It's on Canine Healing. But it talks exactly about that. Like, you start to give more and more and more and more and more stimulation, and then all of a sudden now you have, like, a full-on athlete who may not be super stable in the head. So be conscious of how much you're stimulating your dog and in what ways. And if you don't have time to exercise your dog that day, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's days that my dog doesn't do much more than bounce around in the front seat when I'm going to different people's homes. I take him out. We do a little obedience. But he gets really no good physical exercise and he's fine yeah. he gets home at night he's on the couch and we live with and, drivey dogs Border yeah collies, uh, Malinois, so drive 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 you don't have to get out and run your dog every day people are doing that because it makes them feel good yeah. or because they have control problems and they think the only way they can get that dog under control yeah. is to run the crap out of them yeah so find a balance there where you can get out get them some good exercise and um not overdo it and you don't want a dog that's doing nothing all day. I mean, they got to get out and move their body. Yeah, know? even a fat dog. Walk them to the mailbox Especially and Especially a fat dog. All right. One thing I was thinking, um, blow dryers are a huge trigger, right? So, you know, you go to the groomer, you go to the self-wash, whatever. Especially those, like, vacuumy ones that are like, ah, you know, dogs hate them. Sometimes, if you have an issue with the dryer, bust out the dryer when the dog is dry. And no one ever thinks to do this, right? Like, this isn't something that consciously goes through anyone's mind. But legitimately... You haven't done the whole, you know, pre-triggers of the bath where you have the water and the dog's wet and all this. So sometimes just sit there, put the dog on a leash, hold the collar, dry the dog for 30 seconds on its bum, the dog eats. Drying a dog when it's dry is a good way to create balance where you have a big handling issue without all of these triggers and when you don't actually need to do it. Of course, if it's 10 degrees out, you're not going to let a soaking wet dog outside to go to the bathroom. But if you're conditioning the dryer and, you know, a... I don't know, a safer setting, if you will, a less um, obvious setting that will help you later on. What else do you have? I have a lot of stuff here. All right, let's go. Um, I have this one about medication. Oh, boy. Here I we go. Could, um, I think Trigger! That, I, well, I think having your dog full-time on medication for behavioral issues without actively training the dog to improve that behavior is out of balance. Uh, I, I give would, you that one. I would prefer if you have a dog that's on behavioral medication for whatever reasons, that you would have a behavior modification plan that you're working on with the plan of tapering off that medication, hoping to get a more balanced dog that's more comfortable in its own skin 
And it may be that you do it and you got to go back to the medication. But if you're not trying yeah. to make the dog better, all you're doing is just medicating the dog full time. If you're giving the pillows a band Because it's just easy to have a sedated dog in your house. Yeah. And I'm not, this is a really big buzz topic in the country and the world right now. But I do want to let you guys know that, especially like based on where politics are in the country, it is very different. Like there are many people and many veterinarians in New England that are prescribing medications just because the dog, you know, appears to be anxious or just because of this without a recommendation of training. Like they're just giving medications and the people think, okay, great, we'll take this medication. Just like you think if you're a human, I take Xanax, things will get better. So if Scott is a hundred percent right, if you are just medicating without any behavior modification plan, not the best route to go. And hopefully you're planning on some idealistic version of what the future will look like. And normally from our experience, that always includes training. Of course, you have to work towards creating the dog that you want to have, even with their emotional deficits. And God knows what, you know, if it's a rescue and it's got, you know, this unknown history, try not to fill that all in with the the worst horrors you can think of. Make your dog a warrior, right? Make him a warrior. Let him heal. Help him to heal. That is our job as owners. One thing I was thinking of is um, toys, right? So my girls especially, oh my God, they hit Scott in the balls all the time because they're just the exact right height to run up and shove toys at him. But literally, like, my dogs are very pushy with toys. They have a sock, they have anything, they want to tug, they want to tug, they want to tug. I intentionally, when I walk to the bench with my girls, and I'll try to video this here in the next month or so, sometimes I don't tug with them at all. Sometimes I'll tug with them the whole time. Sometimes I'll let them come in and I'll tug at my will. But switching up how you interact with a toy, especially a tugging toy, is interesting. And if your dog cannot hold a toy without slamming it into you because it wants to tug, love that kind of engagement, love that kind of drive, can you just carry the tug toy and your dog can, I don't care if it heals or walks next to you or whatever else, can your dog deal without barking its head off? Can it handle you just walking with its favorite toy? So if your dog is really big into tugging, this is separate than retrieving, or it could be your retrieve item if you want. If you switch up how you're utilizing that big source of value with your dog, does your dog fall apart and is it just protesting and being an asshole? So switch that up and have a little bit of balance there with how you interact with your dog's favorite toys. Well, you'll get better behavior in other areas yes. too. Oh I mean, yesterday God. I took my Malinois, which I... Uh, to throw the ball for him, give him some, some exercise. And I had, when he came back, I wanted him to sit in front of me, just tightening things up, making him think a little more. Come and sit in front of me, hold the ball in your mouth. And I had this big tug I took out. The first time I took the tug out, because I don't do this on a regular basis. Usually I'm very sloppy with him and I let him be pretty loose. And he, he turns into a friggin' Lace, idiot. Links for doing an honest he, podcast. He turns into an asshole <laughs> if I give him too much yeah. freedom. So sure. I said, come back, sit. I got the, t- the tug out. He drops the ball. Pick the ball up. He picks it up. I take the ball out of his mouth. I reward him with the tug. So I did that like three or four times. After the fourth time, I throw the ball. When I release him, he whips around to me like, hey, I'll just take the tug. I don't need to go chase the ball. That was more valuable for him. (laughs) Get out there and get the ball. You know, so he had to work through that a little bit, which didn't take long, but it helps him. It helps clear his head up as far as listening to me. And then he's going to be better in other areas when he's in the house and I need him to do something. Uh, He's just more apt to follow some direction. It's, I can't stress that enough. Like, especially this dog, like we really keep him more, or I at least keep him more under thumb than the other dogs. I would say almost every time I let this specific dog out to go potty, his release cue is free. He does his automatic sit at the door. I'll say, okay, I'll say break. I'll walk out myself. I'm making sure he's listening to me. Right. And I'm just not like 
his little like bitch that's just carrying him around. He's doing whatever he wants. Like literally I'm making sure he's responding to me. And same thing with Scott, with that ball thing. You don't want the ball. You better go get the ball, buddy. I'm not going to just tug with you because you want. So that really helps his head just kind of be like, okay, like I really need to process. I really need to be thoughtful. I really need to be in the moment. And boy, they're kind of challenging me. And kind of hopefully like most humans and most kids and everything else, a lot of times when we have a challenge, we like it, like, right? A challenge yeah. is good in life. Challenges are great. Scott loves, oh, I got to accomplish this goal. I got to do this. So when we have a challenge, we're going to be working harder. So just because you're challenging your dog doesn't mean you're doing something mean. You're expanding their toolbox. You're helping them to be a warrior. They My, need to think a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Getting them to think, getting them to process. The, the lack of thought that you see half of the time with a dog and an owner that's holding the leash just out and about is concerning. Like the owner's either on the phone or you can tell they're thinking about a million things. Maybe they're on a meeting with earbuds in and the dog's just processing the environment. Oh, what do I smell? Oh, what's this? Like they're not in the moment together. It's one thing to go out in nature and be absorbing nature and absorbing smells and being in that moment. But if neither of you are living in the same reality in that moment, that's not a good situation and that can unravel into, you know, some leash aggression and everything else. My last one was going for a walk. Yeah, I want to make sure I hit that one too, but go ahead, do yours. So my last one is um, going for a walk. So it's pretty common um, that like you go for a walk a certain time of day, right? And I'm all about going for walks with your dog. Bug, my 11-year-old dog, like I take my weights out, we go power walk on the street and walking is great. We're not saying that going for a walk with your dog is an issue. However, if this is a daily routine or a a three-day-a-week routine or whatever else, If you do your normal routine and you don't take your dog with you and you just go for the walk yourself, what happens? Is your dog unraveling? Can your dog be in a crate? Is your dog barking? Is your dog defecating because you left? That simple routine, if you leave the house, and I'm not saying pick up the leash and like make it like a nasty thing, but do everything you normally do. Put your shoes on, put your jacket on and go for the walk yourself. Maybe you normally go for 35 minutes, maybe go for five minutes just to evaluate it. But ideally your dog's just like, huh, that's kind of weird. She must have forgotten about me. Maybe goes and curls up and takes a nap. You'll learn a lot about your dog's headspace and about maybe their stability and everything else, depending on how they respond to that situation. So if you have a routine with a walk, try walking alone. And really, your dog, I mean, sometimes dogs can do crazy things. If they're upset, they can be tearing curtains apart and everything else. So if you've never tested it before, don't go for too long, but switch it up and see how your dog responds. Because the more intimately you're aware of your dog and its behaviors and maybe its triggers and its weaknesses or anything else, the better relationship you and your dog can have. And honestly, I firmly believe the healthier your dog will be. Like the more stability your dog has within them and within different events that they can take in, the healthier your dog is overall. I think, yeah, the more structure they have and and the more that they look to us for guidance when they're not sure of what's going on, the stronger their autoimmune system, everything, because they have less stress Yes, and the stress is what affects the autoimmune system. Now they have skin problems, they got ear uh, infections, all that crap. Uh, The last thing I had on the list, which is kind of threaded all through all this stuff, but allowing your dog to react instinctively in all ways all the time. That's totally out of balance, and uh, you may not notice that it's a, it may not be a problem in many ways. And I'm talking about you take your dog out for a walk, it stops and sniffs here, so you're stopping. Yeah. And then it's lifting its leg over here, so you're waiting. And then it's doing this, and then it wants to go over here. And or, the it's dog af- is- or it's afraid of a truck, so it's pulling away, and you're moving off the street with it. Right. So then, it, you know, that may not be a big deal. But then your friend has a dog and you want the dogs to see each other. Now your dog is humping the other dog. That's an instinctive behavior. And you're like, oh, well, you know, that's kind of, you know, you're a little embarrassed. You don't stop it. Yeah. Just be a little assertive, you know, put some control because 
the more the dog is controlled by their instincts, the more out of balance they're getting because yes. that leads to the biting and it leads to the marking in the house and all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're not stuff. living in the wild. It's not that we want to take away those instinctual behaviors, but the instinct is there for dogs that don't have humans to defer to, right? Like this is a common thing. Vital's going to be in heat here in the next few months. We will work Cousteau and Jimmy around Vital in the same way that we normally would to make sure we have control. Just because instinctively, Cousteau thinks that we should be having border mouths like in a couple months and that's the way life should be, that doesn't mean that's how we allow him to act. That also doesn't mean that those two dogs will not cross paths at all. They'll still ride in the car next to each other with a divider in between them. They'll still go out for walks together. They will still coexist because we make sure that we implement self-control where instinct may take over. Yeah, when you're not uh, getting those instincts, stinks in check. That's what leads to the growling on the couch when they're laying there all comfortable and someone wants them to get off the couch and now they're growling at you. Uh, food uh, resource guarding, a lot of times that's just instinctive behavior out of check. No yeah. one's keeping them. And crittering. Crittering can kill dogs, right? Like, I mean, if your dog is used to just going for anything it smells, squirrels, bunnies, everything else, now all of a sudden, if they're not in an open area and they're running after a critter, they can get hit by cars. That's a pretty common thing. So it's not that we're saying squash any instinct. And it's great to not see instinct all. in dogs and hunting behavior and herding behavior and protective behavior. And like, we love a working dog. My God, we barely were able to come here today without Loki, the little Jack Russell Terrier. We're like, how will we podcast without him? He's so cute. We love dogs with strong instinct, but if their instinct is taking over every area of their life, implement some self-control, you guys. Teach the dog some impulse control behaviors. Get the dog so it's thinking about what it's doing rather than just acting on instinct, because that's when you get the biting. That's when you get a lot of the fallout. Yeah, and my border collie, Jimmy, he marks more than any dog I have. Well, you know, he'll heal with me. I can tell him, sit free, be a dog. We're walking down the street, and he just starts hitting Every tree, every hydrant, whatever it is, he smells something, I'm going to pee on this. I'm going to pee on that. And I let him do it, but it doesn't stop my walk. Yeah, I'm walking at the same pace right down the street. He, If he goes ahead of me, pees on that tree, I walk right past it. When that leash starts to get a little bit tight, he comes right with yeah. me. He and knows, oh, I got to keep said, going. If Scott's over it, even if he's off leash, he calls him and he's yeah. not doing it anymore. Like we're controlling that. But yeah, he likes peeing. And that doesn't mean, <laughs> Scott, literally, we like get back from the beach. He's like, how does he still have pee in him? Like, what is he doing? He's just dripping. But we're controlling that and we're being conscious of that. So this may seem petty. This may seem crazy. Oh, my dog's perfect. My dog doesn't affect anybody else in a bad way. Why are we talking about this? The bottom line is the more adaptable we are as beings, the better off we will be. And there's a lot of crazy going on in the world right now. So let's make our dogs warriors. Let's teach them to accept all of these different environments. We're taking dogs this week, going to another training facility. They're going to be riding in a van they're not used to. They're going to be in crates they're not used to, potting where they're not used to. I don't think twice about that. And I'm doing that with a lot of dogs. So if you could be more like that with your dog, maybe you'd be more apt to take them on vacation. Maybe you'd be able to take them to the vet without medicating them. Who knows what the possibilities are? But if you're not switching it up, you'll never know. And it's important to expose weaknesses. I think that we do that in our household more often than most households, just because the amount of drive we have and the amount of new dogs we have coming in and everything else in our experience level. But when you expose your weaknesses, then you can fix them, or at least you can know they're there. If you don't know they're there, then you're going to get caught off guard and maybe your dog freaks at air brakes and gets hurt or something. So just yeah. be conscious of these things. And just getting back to that marking, it just makes me think about, I have clients that their dogs are good in the house, but they bring their dog over to a friend's house. The dog starts marking mm -hmm. at the friend's house. 
that's because they're allowed to do it. Another, you know, when they're out all the time, wherever they want, now they're just at someone's house. They're doing it there. When we bring our dogs to this facility over the weekend, there's going to be all kinds of dog smells in that facility. I guarantee you my dog is not going to be marking on anything yeah. in there because I, I have my radar up and they're working and I'm not going to allow that type of behavior. I wouldn't just let them be free to just roam around and get comfortable there because one of the ways dogs get comfortable is to mark their territory. Yeah. That's not going to be happening. It's not going to be happening. <laughs> it's not peeing. It's not, it's not a potty training no, know, issue. Know, it's marking the, and that's the, ter- that's the instinctive stuff. Just you know? make sure that you're conscious of switching things up with your dog. We cannot stress that enough. And we see it all the time. We get into our own patterns and our own ruts and we see it with our clients and our client dogs. And dogs thrive on new situations and learning new things and becoming warriors. So make your dog a warrior. All right, you guys, we are going to be back next week. We have a ton of exciting spring guests, early summer guests coming up. I'm super excited about the next few months of the podcast. Uh, we're going to be launching a new site. There's going to be all kinds of great stuff. But in the meantime, keep have it quirky, a great day guys. and keep it quirky. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.